I'm, I'm not going to give his children's sermon, um, but I do need the help of all the children that are here. Okay. There is two points in the sermon where, for dramatic effect, I want to cry out. I want to yell. But it's not really conducive for those of you that are listening to me through a microphone. So I decided that what I'm going to do is this is how you're going to help me. Okay? So, uh, parents, this is just a one-time-only offer. This is not saying from a ruling elder that they are allowed to yell at any time, at any place in church. This is Presbyterian church, not Pentecostal church. Okay? So, we're going to practice this. Okay? So, um, you have to listen very carefully to the sermon. And the two times that I'm going to do that, I'll give you a cue. I'll go like this. All right? And there's going to come a time when I say a phrase, okay? And I'm going to repeat the phrase in a second here. And the other time, it's real simple. It's like the last thing that happens in the sermon. So just look for me doing this sort of stuff. And I'll hopefully try to remember not to do this at any other time. (laughs) Um, So the title of the sermon is Help My Unbelief. And there's a part in the sermon that I'm going to read from the gospel, Okay, and I'm going to say these words. You don't say that there. So if I'm waving like that, just ignore that when I'm reading the the scripture. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be reading, uh, and I'm going to be saying at one point, immediately the father cried out in a loud voice. And when I say that, all the children on this side have to yell, I believe. Okay? And then I'm going to count, one, two, three, four, five, quietly. And then I'm going to go to this side, and all the children on this side have to respond, help my unbelief. So you got that? Okay. So everybody's ready to yell. Okay. They probably didn't do this in Scotland either, did they, John? Okay. Okay, so everybody ready? Immediately, the father cried out with a loud voice, Okay, come on, guys. (laughs) This is like Steeler time. This is like Pirate time. This is like World Series. And they just sort of like came back, and they really couldn't do that. So let's try that once more time. Immediately, the father cried out with a loud voice. (laughs) Okay, adults, I think you're going to have to help them out here. So, and I was going to ask the adults to help out too. So, remember, there's two times, and you get to yell as loud as you want. Okay, and this is for dramatic effect. Um, The first time I'll be saying the phrase, but I'll give you the cue. And the second time is right at the end of the sermon, and I'll give you the cue again. Okay? Um, The passage today that I've selected is Mark 9, 14 through 29. And this is where Jesus heals the boy with an unclean spirit. Uh, The synoptic gospels describe this scene, and they also then add some significant information that's not found in the other accounts. So after reading the passage in Mark, I plan to retell the story with a harmonization of putting all three accounts together. Each one of these accounts adds something significant, as you'll see as we go on with uh, the sermon. 
Um, just a couple of things to note about these three different uh, tellings of the scene. Uh, the Mark passage is the most detailed account. That's the one we're going to use for the sermon today. Uh, while in Matthew and Luke's are shorter, but they include some very important, significant details of the account that aren't found in the other passages. Um, remember, as we read through this, that Matthew was an eyewitness to these accounts. He was an apostle. Uh, Mark got his story about what happened from Peter, who also was an eyewitness to the account. Luke got his story from Paul, um, maybe some others. We don't really know whether they were eyewitnesses to this or not. But the eyewitness account becomes important, as you'll see a little bit later. But before I begin, I want to invite you all to use your imagination. Place yourselves in the crowd with the disciples, or the boy and his father, or maybe the others who just came to see this miracle working Jesus that you've heard so much about. Imagine what it had been like to actually see these events that we are merely reading about. And kids, don't forget to yell. And again, adults, you're encouraged to join in with them. And maybe I can use a little bit of guilt. If you don't, it'll like ruin the whole dramatic effect. <clears throat> Here's our passage. <clears throat> and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what were you arguing with them, about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us to help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, 
why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I guess before I should have read that, I should have told you what page it was on the Bible. So uh, if you're reading the Spanish Bibles, it's on page 938. If you're reading in the ESV, uh, that was from 844. Now, to put some context into what happened, I want to tell you a little bit of the background. Now, before the scene that we just read happened, Jesus asked his disciples who the crowds of people thought he was. And they answered him. They said, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah. Other people say that you're a prophet from the old times. Uh, but then Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was. And Peter answered, you are the Christ of God. And about eight days after this occurred, uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to a mountain to pray, leaving the rest of the apostles and the disciples down at the bottom, waiting for them to return. There on the mountain, Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And as Eric Anderson reminded us a few weeks ago, Moses and Elijah appeared. They were talking with Jesus. Now, none of the Gospels say what they were talking about, but I imagine uh, that really what they were talking about was how the promises that were only a shadow during Moses and Elijah's time as ministry were being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That was the dialogue that they were talking about. And now we're back to Peter. Peter, who seems to be terrified out of his wits and probably not completely understanding what's happening, says it was good for them to be there, and he offered to make three tents, one for each of them. And a voice spoke from the cloud, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Even more terrified when they heard the voice, the three fell on their faces. Then Jesus tapped them on the shoulder, told them to arise, not to be afraid. And when they dared to look up, only Jesus was there. Moses and Elijah were gone. I guess they really didn't need Peter's tents after all. Did they realize at the time that they had witnessed a revelation of the divine nature of Jesus Christ? Given what occurred afterwards, probably not. Luke says they kept silent. Now, when Jesus and the three were coming down from the mountain, a man whose son, who had a demon possessed, came to the remaining apostles and asked them to cast the demon out of his son. But they weren't able to do so. Now this was surprising to them, because earlier Jesus had given them authority to heal the sick and to cast out demons. These were the same signs of the coming kingdom that he performed. And they were able to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Mark 6.13 says, They, referring to the disciples, cast out many demons, and anointed many with oil who were sick and healed them. 
their failure to heal the boy was unexpected. And that led to an argument with some of the scribes that were there. It seems that their failure to heal the boy cast doubt on the authority given to them by Jesus. And then by extension, Jesus' ministry itself. So as Jesus and the three are approaching, they see that an argument is occurring between the remaining apostles and the scribes. And then, when the crowd sees Jesus returning, they rush to meet him. We don't know what they were saying, but perhaps it would be something like this. Here comes the prophet that heard Jairus' daughter. We heard about that last week. Uh, this is the man who healed the woman with the 12-year discharge of blood. He fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes. Did you know that he also was supposed to have walked on water? He fed four more thousand people. He heals the deaf and the blind and, and, and even more. What's going to happen here? The stage is set for a dramatic event. Jesus asked them what they were arguing about. And in Matthew 17, 15, the boy's father says, that his son was epileptic. He has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it overtakes him, it throws him down, he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. The father said when he brought his son for healing and found that Jesus was not present, he asked disciples to heal them, but they could not. Knowing what the people were thinking, Jesus addresses the crowd for their doubting and lack of faith. He rhetorically asks how long he will have to put up with them. Remember, the apostles and the disciples were part of this crowd. Jesus then asked that the boy be brought to him, and when the boy approaches Jesus, he convulsed, rolled to the ground, and foamed at the mouth. Jesus asked the father how long his son had been like this and was told that he was like that from childhood. It happened frequently and would endanger the boy by throwing him down into the fire or even water. The father begged Jesus, if he could, to heal his son. Jesus focuses on the father's praise. If you can. And then said, all things are possible for him who believes. Not yet. The father then cried out that he did believe, but asked for help with his unbelief. Jesus rebuked the spirit, commanding it to come out of the boy and never enter him again. The boy cried out, convulsed, and lay unmoving so that most of the crowd thought that he was dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and he arose. He gave the boy back to his father, Matthew reported that the disciples privately asked him why they could not heal the demon. And Jesus said it was because of their little faith. Mark reported that Jesus said that this kind of demon could only be driven out by anything but prayer. So now let's go back and take a look at some of the interesting things that are going on in this passage. Um, Mark has the father saying that his son has a spirit 
the Greek word pneuma, that makes him mute. Luke also says that a spirit, pneuma, seizes the boy. Matthew, the only one of the three that was an eyewitness, said the boy was moonstruck. Which is translated lunatic in the King James. He has seizures. He's epileptic. The only other time that this word is used in the New Testament is Matthew 4.24, where it is distinguished from those who have seizures. I'm sorry. Uh, It is used to distinguish those who have seizures from those who are demon-possessed. The behavior of the boy is consistent with what we would call today grand mal epileptic seizure. But the context of all three Gospels indicates that being moonstruck, being a lunatic, was thought to be a type of demon or spirit possession. This is true even in Matthew, where verse 17, 18 says that Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. In New Testament times, It wasn't known that epilepsy was a neurological disorder of abnormal brain activity because seizures and other unusual behaviors. So they explained it within a context that fit their worldview. They explained it in the context of demon possession. Notice that Jesus accommodated his explanation for why the apostles could not heal the boy to how they understood what happened to him. This is a rabbit trail, short rabbit trail. Um, The oldest description of epilepsy is on a Babylonian tablet that dates in the British Museum back to at least 2000 BC. It accurately describes the various types of seizures we recognize today, but but considered epilepsy even then to be a supernatural disorder. Each seizure type was associated with a name of a spirit or a god, usually evil. And treatment was largely a spiritual matter. Except for Hippocrates, the Greek physician, this was, commonly, this was the commonly accepted view of epilepsy. Challenging common belief, Hippocrates believed that this was a disorder of the brain. The term lunatic from the King James comes from the Latin word lunaticus which originally referred to epilepsy and madness. It was commonly believed that the moon influenced fevers, rheumatism, epilepsy, and other diseases. Hippocrates' view of epilepsy as a brain disorder did not begin to gain wide acceptance until the 18th and 19th centuries. In his commentary, however, Leon Morris observed that the emphasis of the text here is not on demon possession or epilepsy. Rather, it focuses on the simple fact that the boy was healed instantly, with no mention of the demon coming out of the boy. The immediacy of the healing demonstrates Jesus' mastery over both demons and disease. Another interesting thing in this passage is there's an apparent conflict between Matthew and Mark that sort of mentioned before 
in reporting what was said when the disciples asked why they had not been able to cast out the demon. In Matthew, Jesus said it was because of their little faith. While in Mark, he was reported as saying that that kind of demon could only be driven out by prayer. That was the original reading. Sometimes you have some translations that will say in fasting, that was a later edition. The apostles were clearly bewildered when they failed to cast out the boy's demon. Earlier, they had been given power to do that and had been successful. They clearly expected success this time as well and were mystified by, the, by their failure. As Leon Morris observed in the verse that we read before, uh, the we was emphatic. Why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus says that it was because of their little faith. If they had had true faith, nothing would be impossible, even casting out the demon and healing the epileptic boy. Um, this is not a name it and claim it sermon. The Greek term for little faith here is unique to this verse of scripture and likely refers to the poverty of their faith, which Leon Morris suggested was because the disciples had begun to think of their power to cast out demons as something like a personal superpower. We're in the summer season where it's Marvel Comics and all sorts of personal superpowers. They had begun to think that this was something that they had the power to do. That was their little faith. That was their mistake. They thought that they could just go through their routine and say, you know, in the name of Jesus, I cast you out, and the demon would come out. The apostles had failed to recognize that it was God, not them personally, who possessed the power to cast out demons, and that it was necessary for them to look to him and to act in humble faith. An attitude of prayer for the boy, suggested by Jesus in Mark, would have been turning to God and humbly asking him to heal the boy. Okay, kids, get alert. I'm going to read through a paragraph, and then I'm going to get to the part where I'm going to be waving my hands. You've done good so far. You didn't hit on any of the other um, parts. Okay? So another interesting fact in the scene is described in Mark. And that's where Jesus recognized the boy when Jesus requested the boy be brought to him. The spirit convulsed the boy violently. He fell to the ground, rolling around and foaming at his mouth. You used the same term for what happens to the boy. It convulsed him. Mark reported a conversation that took place between Jesus and the father. Jesus asked how long this had been happening to the boy, and his father said since childhood, and then in a seemingly humble request said, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus draws attention to the doubt in the father's statement and says, if you can, all things are possible for him who believes. Get ready. Immediately, the father cries out in a loud voice, 
And then Jesus healed the boy. The Greek word for cried out here is used in Matthew 8.29, where there's two demon-possessed men that are crying out. It's also used in Mark 10.47, when blind Bartimaeus was crying out in order to get Jesus' attention. The cry is more of a shout or a scream. I imagine there was a time of silence between the fathers crying, I believe, and help my unbelief. The father looking at Jesus, the father looking at Jesus who called out his unfaithfulness, Jesus looking back at him, knowing he was the answer to the man's hopelessness. Who will save him from this body of death and hopelessness? Progazzo, to cry out, applied to the intensity of both cries. There were two people healed that day. The boy and his father. The boy was healed of his epilepsy and the demon that made him mute. The father of his hopelessness and unbelief. He asked for healing for his son but at first did not believe it was possible. Somewhere between his two cries, he came to believe that Jesus could heal his unbelief as well as his son. So where did you put yourself in this story? Did you stand with the apostles, asking why you could not have your prayers answered? You did all the right things, you prayed all the right prayers, you read all the right scriptures, books, and commentaries. You even asked in Jesus' name if he could. But nothing happened. Why couldn't we cast it out? Why weren't our prayers answered? Or did you see yourself in the Father? Helpless to believe that the suffering of your loved one, feeling hopeless because of years of no improvement, why is God not hearing me? What can the so-called prophet or miracle worker do? Probably nothing, but put on the humble face and ask if there's something he can do. How did he know about my lack of faith? my unbelief. Well, what about the boy? You are the center of attention, the main dramatic event. Everyone is looking at you, already stressed out by the failure of the nine apostles to heal you. Now you are being dragged towards this Jesus. And everyone is shouting even louder, and you can feel the signs of another seizure coming. Not now, not here. Going for the fourth point for this sermon. Maybe you don't fit either one of these three. Perhaps none of these characters fit you. Maybe you see yourself as someone in the crowd who came out of curiosity to see what others were saying about this Jesus and his followers. They heal the sick, they cast out demons, they raise the dead. Along with the rest of the crowd, 
you witness the failure of the apostles to heal the boy and wonder if other stories you heard could be true. Is this Jesus truly the Messiah? Then Jesus comes, and with your own eyes, you see the boy healed. You witness the father, unbelief cured. And you realize, too, that you need to cry out in a loud voice, just as the father did. If you see yourself in any one of these characters, please talk with me, John, Alex, David, or one of the other elders, so that we may pray for you and help you with your unbelief today. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how uh, you speak to us how even in the circumstances of our lives that you uh, do come to us, that you can see and know in our hearts and you will point us towards our unbelief. Uh, help us to realize that uh, in all our hopelessness and helplessness that you are truly the answer to that. And you respond to us, for you have said, all things are possible for him who believes. We pray, Lord God, that you would be with us as we continue uh, in our worship service and as we go about our business uh, for the rest of the week. In Jesus' name I pray.